Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. The weekend is over. It's the new week, and I'm not ready. I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, I needed one more day this weekend. I think I got spoiled by a number of three-day weekends that we had since the end of uh, 2023. But I'll pull it together, don't worry. I do have a guest coming on today, a person who was actually working security at the Nova Music Festival on October 7th, and who was actually responsible for saving many lives and and just there for the nightmare. And I think it's important that we start to hear the actual stories, because for some reason, and I really can't figure this out yet, the prime minister decided that he wasn't going to release all the videotape or uh, even have all the stories told because they're so horrific. But immediately, when you don't tell the truth and you don't tell the gory details, people start getting sympathetic for the bad guys which is what we see happening. You know, some guy lit himself on fire yesterday in protest of the war in Israel, in Gaza. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what, what exactly was he trying to prove? He self-immolated so that people would pay more attention to the fighting in Israel, that does, just doesn't make any sense to me. It no, makes no more sense than people throwing things on the Mona Lisa and saying it's all about climate change. What does artwork have to do with climate change? Nothing. But they're just all delusional. Well, half of the protests that are taking place around the world today are based on nothing. Climate change is not a a subject that you should be throwing paint around. I don't even know if it's a subject we should be talking about anymore since we obviously have not come up with any solid evidence that anything that's going on in the world today is a result of climate change. Just because John Kerry says it is doesn't make it so. But it was one of those weekends, I don't know about the rest of you, I kept trying to find, you know, things to be positive about. Of course, Donald Trump winning the South Carolina primary in such a very commanding way cheered me up a little bit. But of course, it didn't cheer me up to know that Nikki Haley is still going to stay in this race until after Super Tuesday, or at least that's what she's saying. Meanwhile, the biggest donors to her, the Koch brothers, or the Koch, 
I think there's the brothers don't exist anymore. It's just one Coke. Pulled all the funding. Said, no, no, not going to be, we're not going to be funding. So what happens when Donald Trump does very well? I'll tell you what happens. The media makes it look like he didn't do very well. And it's such a hard reach for them that they, get, they have to get super creative. Now they're saying that he has his brains are scrambled because he forgot Melania's name. First of all, I haven't seen any evidence at all that that's what happened. He pointed over to the side of the stage where Mercedes Schlapp was and referred to Mercedes, and people are thinking he was calling Melania. I don't know. It's just they can't help it. They don't know what else to do. I assure you that Donald Trump did not forget his wife's name. You know, but, but they don't know what else to do. So now it's, well, how come he hasn't won by as many points as the polls were predicting? You have to be crazy to even ponder that in any seriousness. Okay, because if you win by 24 points or you win by 22 points, should we really be second-guessing whether you're a winner or not? I, I just, they frustrate me because they'll do anything to try and tear this man down and the more they do it, just the, the higher he's elevated. No one has ever won that South Carolina primary by this much. No one, ever. But, but the headline, instead of, wow, that was a massive defeat for Nikki Haley in her own state. No, no, no. The headline was, ah, but we don't understand because Donald Trump was supposed to win by a lot more. Two, and then they say two points. Two points is a lot more. Difference between like 24 and 26. I mean, I just don't get it. Why is the hatred so front and center with them? I don't really know anything on earth, or anybody certainly on earth, that I could hate all the time that way. You'd at least find something commendable once in a while, or at least admit that there's no point in continuing to badger at someone when it's just causing his supporters to dig in deeper. But they won't give up. They just won't give up. And, and at some point, it just becomes kind of comical. And you think, boy, I wish I was a writer on like SNL or some comedy show because they give me all the material I could ever want. But of course, the people writing those shows are left-wing lunatic liberals anyway, so they're not going to use any of my suggestions. I get it. I really do. It just makes me sad. I'm sure it makes everybody sad. So the hysteria in Europe right now, if you thought it was crazy here, sometimes I have to remind myself it's crazier across the pond. They had a public referendum, and they, the Parisians themselves, okay, not, I'm not talking about just the government in France. I'm talking about the actual Parisians, people living in Paris, voted in favor 
of a huge increase if you want to park your hefty off-road vehicle somewhere. Well, let me also frame that in the total context. Only 6% of eligible voters actually bothered to vote. But they want anybody driving an SUV or other heavyweight vehicles. I don't even consider an SUV a heavyweight vehicle anymore, do you? It's, there's more of them on the road than there is anything else. Well, now, if you want to park in Paris, it'll cost you 18 euros instead of the usual 6 euros. Why? Because you're driving one of these heavyweight vehicles. <laughs> Six hours of parking in the center of Paris will cost 225 euros instead of the previous 75 euros. 1.3 million Parisians were called to vote under the slogan, more or fewer SUVs in Paris. But only 6% of eligible voters even bothered to vote. So about half of them who did vote approved a hike in the parking fees and almost half voted against it. So there were like 3% of the eligible voters who were able to decide just how much SUV drivers are going to have to pay. This is the insanity in Europe. Coming soon to a city near you. Nah, you see, I, I just don't think Americans are going for this uh, punish the drivers of SUVs stuff. Uh, they started with that here probably about 10, 15 years ago, and it just didn't work. Any more than everybody's going to have to get an electric car. Maybe that's true in California, but I look around uh, my community, I look around the, the entire South Florida area, I drive around here all the time. I can count on one hand any time I go anywhere how many electric vehicles I see. There's just not a lot of them. Sometimes I'll pull into these parking, uh, you know, strip mall parking lots where there'll be two charging stations. And half the time I'm wondering, like, who put those charging stations in? This isn't even that kind of a gathering place. There's not that much business or traffic here that you would have two electric charging stations. And I've never seen a car parked at them. And I'm talking now a couple of years since before COVID, they put those in. And I go to this particular, it's right across the street from the church. So I go there at least two or three times a week either to the uh, bodega that's there when I want to buy some Spanish items for my groceries, or when I get my hair done, it's in that plaza as well. And I have yet to see an electric vehicle parked in one of those two spots charging. So what was the point of that? I have dozens of acquaintances and friends. I wouldn't say I have lots of friends, but I have enough friends to say I'm not without friends. <laughs> I don't know anybody who owns a fully electric vehicle except one of my kids, my son. That's it. I do not know anyone else who owns a fully electric vehicle. Even my son-in-law owns a hybrid. My daughter owns a hybrid. Or maybe my daughter owns a fully electric now. I don't know. She is 
you know, definitely nutty enough to do that. Plus, I don't know that they have much choice in California since uh, the the crazy people there, just like the Parisians in France, actually agree with phasing out gasoline and the cars that use it. So, I, you know, look, all I can tell you is if I think sometimes that it's as bad as it can get here in the United States, I just look across the pond and realize, no, it could get worse. Just check this out. Anyway, a little later on in the program, after the midpoint of the program, I'm going to be talking with a young man who was there on October 7th, uh, working security at the Nova Music Festival. And I think it's important to share these stories. And if they're not going to be shared by our elected representatives, which is a shame, then they'll be shared on talk radio that you can always count on. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can have it on your cell phone. You could have it on your laptop, wherever you want it. You can participate in our contest. We have the Rib Roundup tickets. I think they're still available. Plus other things. You can hear all the podcasts, mine and everybody else's on the station. And that's a nice feature. In the meantime, let me take a quick break, and I will be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest-growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world, and the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms platforms and you can also find it on uappodcast.com so the uh, ftc which is the federal trade commission has decided that they don't think it's a good idea to allow kroger and albertson's the two supermarkets to merge they think that it would drive up grocery prices and hurt the workers now i don't know about the rest of you but Drive up grocery prices? How much higher can they be driven up right now? As a matter of fact, doesn't it make more sense to presume that if you combine two large grocery shops, that prices might actually come down? Because you would have, first of all, now granted, you might have less staff, and that's always painful. But Really, it should bring prices down, not drive them up. But the FTC and a group of attorneys have sued to block this merger. And, you know, unless you've got enough money to keep fighting, I don't know whether Albertsons or Kroger supermarkets are going to be able to take them on. In a release, the FTC said it issued an administrative complaint and authorized a lawsuit in federal court to stop the acquisition of Albertsons by Kroger's, which would, of course, create one of the largest grocers in the entire country. Nine attorneys general joined the complaint from Arizona, California, D.C., Illinois, Maryland, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, and Wyoming. Thank goodness not here in Florida. Kroger's acquisition of Albertsons would lead to additional grocery price hikes for everyday goods. According to Henry Liu, the director of the FTC's Bureau of Competition. Do these people not realize that these supermarkets are now 
competing with Walmart. They're competing with Amazon. They're competing with Costco and BJ's and Sam's Club. I mean, how many more do I have to list before you realize that they better do whatever they can to bring their own costs down? The Kroger-Albertsons agreement has been in a holding pattern for as long as I can remember, at least a year while they were, you know, scrutinizing the merger. The companies announced it back in, I guess it was fall of 2022. And they kept saying, if we team up, we should be able to compete with the Walmarts and the Costcos and all the rest of it. But no, the FTC wants... Uh, wants that not to happen. The Biden administration doesn't like mergers. The Biden administration doesn't like capitalism either. So are we going to go along with that? I really don't know. The CEO of Kroger, this Rodney McMullen, continues to uh, say that he would like to see this deal go through, as does everyone else. All the consumers would like to see it go through. But hey, the federal government will determine what's best for us, even when they blow it. And we have very little recourse, don't we? Now, of course, the other big stories out there right now is we have a $454 million judgment in a civil fraud case that's been leveled against a presidential, a former president and a future presidential candidate. Because I think we can now all agree that he's going to get the nomination. Like even Nikki Haley, you can probably agree now, right? Maybe you're going to run as a no labels candidate or something. I don't know. But you're not going to win the nomination, Nikki. No. Is she waiting around hoping um, that, that, that the legal cases catch up? I, I really don't know. But Donald Trump has appealed the judgment, which we knew he would do. The only problem is that in New York, according to this crazy DA and even crazier judge, in order f for him to appeal this judgment, he has to put that money up. He either has to pay it or get a bond to cover it. I Maybe it's me, but I really never heard of anything like that. The front runner has until March 25th to secure what's called a stay, a legal mechanism that stops collection while he's in the appellate process. See, Trump would receive an automatic stay if he puts up money or assets or an appeal bond covering what he owes. And now, of course, his lawyers could also ask the appeals court to grant a stay without obtaining a bond or with a bond for a lower amount. Now, the lawyers were questioned this morning and did not respond as to whether or not Donald Trump had posted an appeal bond or if he was uh, you know, in the process of securing one. Trump lawyer Alina Haba addressed only the appeal itself saying, we trust that the appellate division will overturn this egregious fine and take the necessary steps to restore the public faith in New York's legal system. And everybody's left messages with the attorney general's office. Even you know a, a peon like me made sure to send in 
a request for a statement from the attorney general's office and I did not go to the court system, but I'm sure all the big players, AP, Reuters, all of them did. And yet, nobody's going to answer. Among some of the penalties that were placed on Donald Trump, besides this enormous, ridiculous amount of money, was the Trump Organization's inability to do business. And his inability to do business in New York his sons, both sons, inability to do business in New York. And you have to ask yourself a question. If this ruling holds, if, if uh, Judge Engeron's ruling forces Donald Trump to give up a pretty substantial chunk of his fortune, $350 million in penalties, but with interest, we're talking $454 million, which will go up 112000 every day, until it's paid. Now, no matter what you believe, Donald Trump may have represented or misrepresented in his fortune. I think we can all agree that as of last year, he had about $400 million in cash and he has tons of properties and other investments. So if Letitia James is planning on taking Trump Tower or any other properties and selling it at pennies on the dollar, the one thing I can tell you she will have have succeeded in doing will be in getting Donald Trump reelected. That's all. He's appealing. We'll see what happens. But the, you know, the idea that this isn't election interference and this isn't the weaponization against a political opponent, opponent, I think we can all put that to rest. He's being punished for having a great company, having lots of money, building great buildings, and being a great president. Who's going to ever want to do those things again? Certainly not in New York. All right, let me take a break. As I promised, I'll be uh, coming back with a very special guest in this next segment of the program. Not a cheerful, happy portion of the program, but Din Tesler is my guest, and he is a Nova Music Festival survivor. Stay right where you are. All right, and welcome back. You know, I was reading an article just earlier today about how uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is just distraught and destroyed over what happened on October 7th, but he wasn't there. My next guest was there. Din Tesler was working at the Supernova Musical Festival when the terrorists struck on October 7th. He was working as a security guard, and he not only survived, but he has had the guts and the presence of mind to come here to America and tell his story. And for that, I want to thank you. How are you, sir? Hello, everyone. My name is Dean Tesler. I'm from Cologne in Israel. And thing that you forget to say, it's, first of all, I come in to work with my best friend. His name is Bal Kuperstein. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he hostage till now. Okay. We became two friends to work, and he hostage and I'm survived and this is also the reason that I'm doing speeches and talking about it because I'm talking not just for me also for him mm-hmm. so it started in 6 30 in the morning we see rockets in the sky and that time the security guards all of the security guards were coming back to the party tell people that they don't need to leave and really fast mm-hmm. my job was the commander of the gate around the party so all the emergency exits 
it was kind of on me. Mm-hmm. Around after 20 minutes, 30, around 7 in the morning, when the rocket flew in the sky, uh, the police told me in the radio that I need to open emergency exit. So this is what I did. I told people to follow me, open emergency exit, and they start to tell people going left. I take them to the main road, 232 road, and it's between Kibbutz Be'eri and between Kibbutz Re'i. So I tell them going left to Be'eri. And after a few minutes, from the right, in the road, I see a woman get out from the car, and she catch my arm, and she begging for help. She was bleeding from the head. And that time, till the second, for me, it was just, okay, it's another day with rockets in the sky. But from that second, it's feel that it's not just rockets in the sky. I take her on my ATV. I take her to the ambulance. It was one minute to drive. I put in the ambulance and trying to talk with her. What happened? What happened? She's panicked. She's bleeding. She's crying. She, she's not talking too much. Mm-hmm. And the second I put her in the ambulance, she just looked at me and told me that terrorists attacked them and maybe a mile or two near to the party. After that, the paramedics say a lot of injuries coming. And me and my best friend, we're driving. I'm an ATV. He is an ATV. We're driving back to the road, and we see a lot of a lot injured people that getting shot. And we start to do a tourniquet. And how my friend did it, it was amazing. We take a branches from the ground. We take a shirt that we found, and we just start help people how much we can. And this is what we're doing for almost two hours. That we're just trying to to help the other people. After that, the call from the police was that we need to open another emergency exit. This is what we're doing. And people, keep, I would tell people, keep running straight, keep running straight. We tell them the direction they need to run. We see how everyone is running, but we see a small group, then they're running, landing on the ground. Me and my friend in, the same, in that time, we've been in the same ATV. Bar is driving, I next to him. We came closer and we see again three injured women that getting shot in the legs. Really bad situation. We take them on the ATV. We do a tourniquet really fast. I take them back to the party. Put them in the ambulance. And after that, the police told us we need to come to the police. Where in the was in the in the main road. Mm-hmm. It was around almost nine in the morning. At that time, we see few cars jeeping inside of terrorists. We see how maybe quarter of I will talk you with miles because we in America. Mm-hmm. Maybe right. quarter of mile, they just jump from their cars and just start to shoot on people and murder people. <laughs> at that time, me and my friend, we see that. And I look at him, he screamed at me and told me, go inside to the party because it was safer there. And my friend, unfortunately, decided to stay there. He fights, he protects, he takes care of injuries. And after a few minutes, they take him hostage. It was the last time they see him. Mm-hmm. I start running to the party. I send many location. My friend sent me text. Need, Dean, you need to run away. A lot of terrorists in your location. I start to, you know, thinking. I need to take a decision. What am I going to do? I stay there and running. I decide to take with me a small group of ten people. We start running to the woods. Maybe one hour, one hour and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. Running in the woods, running the shooting. It's still shooting, shooting on us, and we're hiding from bush to bush. And after almost one hour and a half, 
Unfortunately, we see against terrorists, but this time they've been very close. And they murder most of the group that's running with me in the woods. I just see how they're falling down one by after. From there, I'm running left. I look in the side. I see that I'm alone, completely alone. I see bullets fly next to me, something two, three meters. And after a few minutes of running, I see two cactus bushes. One from the right and one from the left. I told myself, what the chance that someone will get to the bush? So I jumped to the right one, and I hide in the bush cactus from 10.30 in the morning till 7 p.m., mm. almost nine hours. I tell you what happened between the hours. It's, it's a nightmare. It's like the devil, you know? Mm-hmm. In 10.30, I jumped to the bush, and I sent many locations to many people, and... The shooting, still shooting, it's, I heard all of the screaming of the terrorists, if it's the Allah Akbar, if their music from their cars, if it's the RPG, if it's everything, if it's the screaming of civilians, Israeli people, they're just screaming, please no, please no, and then a shooting. Mm. And till the time around 1 p.m., I look and right, I'm hiding, I look and right, and I see shadow of terrorists behind me. After that, I decide to kind of make my last video. If you want, I will send you later. Mm-hmm. And I feel myself around 2 p.m. I text my older brother that he'd been in Canada at that time. I told him, Emil, I love you. Take care of all the family. I'm going to die. Many of terrorists behind me. After that, I did voice message to my mom. Mom, I love you. I'm going to die. Take care of all the family. Thank you about everything you give me in my life. And the voice message to my mom didn't send because of the connection mm. and 224 my phone battery has died so the last thing that my mom seen that time is just me recording a voice message and then disappear mm. after that maybe after 27 minutes three terrorists one after one came to my bush and they just passed next to me like they just can look left and they will see me but thank you god they didn't see me Mm. At that time, I can tell you, all of you, about myself, it was the, the second that I just realized and accepting the death. And I'm actually realized that that's it. I'm just waiting for the moment they're actually going to kill me. Mm. Thank you, God, they didn't see me. The time is keeping moving. I start to hallucinating from no water. And I start to hallucinate terrorists in front of me every time I close my eyes. And it was scared. It was disaster. And then... I start to smell a smoke, and I told myself, didn't they found you, and they're going to burn you alive right now? So I have the decision to take. What am I going to do? Very good friend of mine, in the morning, in 11, 12, told me, Dean, don't do stupid things. Stay in the bush till the help will come. Mm. So I decided to stay in the bush, and I told myself, if they want to burn me alive, so burn me alive, I'm staying in the bush. The time is almost, I go with you a little I will make it shorter a little bit. The time is almost... Between five to six, I heard it's police, it's police, but with Arabic accent. And I've been a soldier. I've been a special forces in the army. So, you know, the, the, the accent of the Arab, it's like, for me, it's like, mm-hmm. in one second, you know. Right. I figure myself, it's not making sense that it's the police because all the time it's still shooting. All the time I'm heard the, the terrorists behind me. I didn't listen to this voice, stay in the bush, till the time almost six something. It starts to be dark. I tell myself, we're going to die from no water. 
or maybe hypothermia because it starts to be cold and I'm shaking, or I prefer to run away and probably die in, on the way. I start to wave to helicopter. I'm still in the bush and just waving to helicopter maybe 30, 40 minutes, and it don't see me. After that, the time is almost probably 7 p.m. It's dark for me. That time it feels that it's the night right now, and I can't be here anymore. I prefer to run away. So just a few seconds before running off my life again, I'm freezing on myself. I pray to God. i begging for him and just begging for him that he needs to help me. Mm-hmm. And I'm running in the open field again, 7 something p.m. Night, it's still shooting. I'm running 30, 40 minutes. That what I see, just bodies from the right, bodies from the left, dead people there and dead people there. Mm-hmm. Cars that burned there, cars that burned there. It was the most disaster that I see in my life. Mm-hmm. It was something that I never forget also. After 40 minutes, I see lights from the car from far away. I figure myself, or oh, it's the terrorists, or oh, it's the IDF, my army. So mm-hmm. I'm hiding, but then I told myself, I don't want to hide anymore. I start to scream and help me, help me. Thank you, God, he sent me two soldiers that respond. Mm-hmm. It's the IDF, it's the IDF. For me, I feel that it sounds good. I run into them. Thank you, God, they've been a soldier. They give me water. I charge my phone call my parents, my friends, I tell them, everyone that I'm alive. And they ask me if I see more survivors. And like I told all of you right now, I tell them, no, I've been alone all the hours after the group that run with me get mm-hmm. murdered. And they ask me if I remember where was the bush that I hide in because they want to search for more survivors. I tell them, yes, I remember, let's go back. We're driving back, unfortunately, we don't find survivors. But we came closer to the bush, and what I see is just the bush next to me. The left one, like I told you, mm-hmm. was completely burned, on fire, and still on fire. For me, it was being completely shocked, and I say to myself, it's another miracle. Mm-hmm. And thank you, God, that bush was next to me and not my bush. Right. After that, I tell them, please take me out of here. I'm scared. They get me out from the roots around 8-something p.m., 14 hours after everything started. They put me in a gas station, and there I see many soldiers. I start to feel safe. I told myself, okay, I'm survived. And then two brothers of my best friend called me with stress and nervous and told me, Dean, where's Bar? Where's Bar? And I told him, I don't know. I just get out from the woods. His younger brother, he's 17 years old, he sent me a video that you see my best friend inside room with the hand behind the back with more hostages inside Gaza. And I just started crying, crying of my life and just crying. Even mm. didn't realize what happened to me and my best friend is hostage. Mm. And the way that he found out, his younger brother just called in Telegram and found video that he see how his brother hostage and if you want, I will send it to you later. Yeah. Just tell me. Yes. And I didn't even finish to cry. Rockets mm. in the sky again. I'm hiding again. After that, I take me to the hospital where my parents waited for me for many hours. Something about my mom. My mom, she never run. Like, my mom, she's not kind of the woman that's running. Mm-hmm. She has a few problems. But the second that I get out from the car, she just run to me and mm-hmm. hug me like she never hugged like in my life 
Mm-hmm. We're crying outside of the hospital. Say thank you, God, that he saved me. Crying on my friend at hostage. And after that, he take me home. For mm-hmm. me, Sunday is coming. For me, I can tell you that Sunday, for me, it's also one of the worst days in my life. Like I told you, I've been in the Army. And I said, tell you about the relationship in the Army. Your friends in the Army, they're your family. It's your mm-hmm. best friend. It's your brothers. And the day after, in Sunday, 8th of October, my friend called me and told me that we lose a friend. His name is Or Mizrahi. One of my best friends in my team died in October 7th. We went, when he was in the base Kerem Shalom in the south, that's getting attacked by terrorists. Mm. My friend, he was kind of the soul of the team. He was the heart. Mm. He really one of my best friends. I miss him a lot. I'm crying in that day a lot. After that call, it was another call that my commander died. And it was the first day. I can tell you it was disaster. Just yeah. calls. Or I knew that someone or dead. Or I knew that a friend that's hostage, or another one that's not found. And this was my first day. After a few days, I decided to go to Israeli news. I go and share my story in front of all of Israel. And in the middle of November, I fly to New York. I'm flying with two brothers of my friend. We've been in New York. I've been with them in a week. They come back. I decide to stay in the state. So I've been in November, December, a little bit of January, and I've been in New York, Miami, and I make more than 50 speeches mm-hmm. for the Jewish communities. I did it by myself, and now I am in Miami again, mm-hmm. doing the same thing, but right now not just with the Jewish community, and I think that it needs to, to come to everyone. Not, yes. For me, it doesn't matter also if you're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, you know, for me, to be a good person, it's the most important thing. So yeah. now I'm here talking with you. And telling your story. story. Yes, you've got to tell the story because we've been sheltered. They didn't want us to know all the details. And it's exactly. important that we know this. I, I think they should show the videotapes and they should have people like you telling the story so that the world stops being sympathetic to the terrorists who did this unspeakable hell. Uh, that was done at that music festival and at those kibbutzes. So I'm very pleased that you have the courage through your pain to give your testimony. You. And and you will be coming to my church soon to be speaking as well. And I think everybody needs to hear this story firsthand. Din, thank you so much for your courage. Thank you, all of you. And thank you very much. All right, we'll be talking again. And if you don't hear from the actual survivors and you don't know the real story, then you can be confused. And that's why Din's in town. And he's going to be telling his story, including at my church. Stay right where you are. I'm going to take a final break and I'll be back to end the show. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.